Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Mike Jones, Your Journey with the Holy Spirit. The original date of this message was the 4th of September, 2022. Good morning, RBC. And for uh, those of you who are uh, visiting us uh, remotely, uh, welcome to church as well. Um, We look forward to the day when uh, you're able to come back and be here with us. Well, by way of background, uh, I've been attending RBC for about 18 years with my wife, Virginia, who is over here with uh, our family. And um, during the time that we've been here, um, I've done a number of things. Earlier on, I worked in Awana. I've taught a number of different uh, classes and Bible studies over the years. I served on the elder board for uh, two terms and uh, a few weeks. Uh, and um, so that's my um, role here. My wife and I grew up in Pomona. We attended Pomona First Baptist Church. Later on, we moved out to the San Fernando Valley. We were Uh, became members and attended John MacArthur's church, Grace Community, out there. Uh, Several years later, we moved up to the Oregon coast. Uh, We lived on um, several acres and wooded forest on the Oregon coast in God's country there. Right? Yeah, I met, uh, we got a new uh, friend here from Oregon visiting us today. And um, lived in, he lived in Roseburg, which is a little more inland from where we lived. But anyway, we uh, lived there, and it was there that I sensed God's call on my life. We moved to Canada so that I could attend a Bible college, and afterwards we remained there, and I pastored two churches, and we worked at a Bible college um, for a number of years as well before returning home here to help take care of our parents. So that's sort of my uh, orientation. If you've not attended here before and you don't know me, um, there you have it. Your journey with the Holy Spirit is crucial to living the Christian life. I could have used the word relationship instead of uh, journey, but I chose journey because I wanted us to see how the Holy Spirit ministers to us before we became Christians, when we became Christians, after we became Christians, and on into eternity. So this message is going to be an overview. We're not going to be able to spend a lot of time or go into a lot of detail in every area, but I pray that you will want to take what you've learned today and dig a little bit deeper. Uh, I have four different books plus commentaries and other things, uh, four different books on the Holy Spirit, over 200 pages each. One of those uh, books is solely uh, devoted to the role of the Holy Spirit in your teaching. So you can imagine if there's that much out there, there's no way that we can cover all of that in uh, the short time that we have this morning. I hope that you are investing in good resources. Uh, You should have some good reference works. You should have a a good uh, systematic theology book. Uh, I recommend The Biblical Doctrine by um, MacArthur and Mayhew. It's a good resource to have so that you can uh, dig and dive a little bit deeper. So while we were living on the Canadian prairies and I was pastoring the last church I was at, uh, I went to visit one of our uh, members, a family there, Dave and Olga. They were uh, seniors. Uh, They were retired. 
But as we visited with Dave and Olga, Dave told about how his parents had come from Sweden to uh, settle land there where we lived in uh, Mydell, Saskatchewan. At that time, his daddy told me uh, could buy a quarter of land, a quarter is a one square mile section of land, uh, four quarters make a section, but a quarter of land he could buy for the filing fee of $10. Well, man, you'd have your mortgage paid like that. And the deal was that they had to build a structure. They had to have a home, a, a home on that uh, property. And then within a year, if they did that and they started plowing and so on and uh, starting crops, they might be able to buy additional uh, quarters of land. And uh, he went on to talk about how backbreaking the work was for his dad and his family, his brothers and he, as they had to do everything by hand. They had horses that uh, drew the carts, that plowed the land when the hay came in. They had uh, sleds that they put the hay bales on, and teams of horses would take it away. The uh, Canadian winters are harsh. We've lived through them. It can drop down to... uh, 40, 50 below zero, and that's without the wind chill factor. And then in the summers, it can be hot. It's very, it was very difficult work. And then as they prospered, they were able to buy Eaton's Homes. Eaton's was a store like Sears in Canada, so they could buy an Eaton's Home, and uh, it would come in sections. They would put it on a flatbed uh, rail car. It would be taken uh, out to the city where they lived, and then it was taken by horses and whatever out to where it was going to be put up. They'd have a work day. Everybody would show up and frame the house. It didn't have insulation, didn't have air conditioning. It was heated with coal, and believe me, there are no trees to cut down where we were. We were on the prairie, so it was heated by coal, and uh, it was a very harsh life as he uh, explained it all to us. But over the years, something happened, oil was discovered in that area. And so little by little, you had all these wheat fields and barley fields and canola growing, but then you'd have the pump jacks here and there and spotted throughout uh, the area pumping uh, oil. In fact, uh, at that, when we were there pastoring, Virginia worked out in the oil fields in the office for Apache oil. Uh, they had bought it out from Shell Oil Company, so she was working out there Uh, with all the crews uh, working out of the office there. Well, years later, we had moved back to California, and one day we get a letter from Dave and Oli, Olga, her nickname was Ollie, and we get this letter from Ollie, and it says, uh, guess, you'll never guess what happened. They drilled oil on our land, and they found oil. And then she just wrote, no more mortgage. (laughs) Can you imagine what that would be like? We also had a, in the church that we uh, pastored, before I was there, one of the uh, members who was a doctor had farmland, and they had drilled oil and sunk two wells. And part of his estate when he passed away was that he bequ- bequeathed some of that revenue to keep perpetually funding the church. So the church that I was pastoring at that time only had about 40 to 50 people. There's no way they could have supported a full-time pastor. But the foresight of uh, the doctor and bequeathing that money to the church is able to keep their, they're able to keep their doors open to this day. Well, just imagine for a moment 
Dave and Ollie had all that oil right under their feet all those years, all that energy, but it had never been tapped into until they had retired and, and we had moved away. They had all those enormous resources, and so it is with Christians. We have all the resources we need to live the successful Christian life because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Well, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not an it. Uh, He has personality. He has intelligence. He has emotions, and he has a will. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can resist the Holy Spirit, but he is a person. He is a member of the Trinity or the triune Godhead. He has all the perfections of deity and all the, and all the attributes of deity and all the perfections as God. Sometimes he's referred to as the Spirit of God. In Genesis 1-2, it says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Therefore, the Spirit is God. But he's referred to as the Spirit of Jesus in Acts chapter 7, and in Romans 8-9, he's called the Spirit of Christ. In Romans 8-9, it says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Well, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus and the Spirit of Christ are all designations for the one and the same Holy Spirit. There is only one Holy Spirit. There's only one Spirit. There is one body, Paul wrote, and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. So this morning we want to go on a journey, and first we want to turn this on first. And then we want to look at our journey before your salvation. The Holy Spirit was active in your life before you became saved. Um, In eternity past, God chose you to become saved, and that's where your journey began. It began in the mind and the heart of God. Uh, Turn to Romans, excuse me, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Ephesians 1, verse 4. It says there in Ephesians 1, 4, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Three of the most wonderful words in the Bible are he chose us. He chose you. I don't know about you, but I like to be chosen. Remember uh, back when you were in elementary school, maybe the fourth grade, and you're going to go out and play kickball or something, and the teacher take you out there, and then you're going to divide up into teams, and the teacher picked Billy and Susie, and they began, first of all, they made themselves captains, and then they started picking people, and you were just hoping, oh, pick me, pick me, And maybe you want to be on this team and not that team, but it was so great when they called your name and you got to go up there and get on the team because you were chosen. And then eventually the teacher said, you know, we can't play until somebody picks Mike. (laughs) But anyway, it was really great to feel chosen. 
and to be wanted. Well, God chose us before the foundation of the world. Well, before you were saved, you were also the recipient, and all mankind is, of what we call common grace. And Pastor Jason spoke to that a, a few weeks ago. Common grace is the grace that God showers on all men. Just to give you a couple examples, Psalm 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all his works. So God is good to everyone. Uh, Matthew 5.45, Jesus, speaking of the Father, said to his disciples, He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So God is benevolent towards all mankind. And even more so in um, uh, offering us salvation through Jesus Christ. We all know this verse. It's probably one of the first that you learned uh, as a child in Awana or Adventure Club, John 3.16. And it says, For God so loved the what? World. Anthropos. God so loved the world, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He loved them and was willing to send his son so that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So these are some of the things that were going on before you became uh, saved. And if you turn to um, John 16, we're going to look at uh, the scene in the upper room, John chapter 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's before his departure. The next day, he's going to take that walk to Golgotha. And he's preparing their hearts for what is to come and what will come after. In John 16, beginning at verse 7, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He says the Holy Spirit is going to come. The helper is, uh, the word in the Greek is parakletos. It means one who comes alongside. When you parallel park, you drive your car up to the curb and you parallel park. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He parallel parks. He comes alongside of you. He has other roles. That, that word uh, parakletos means to help, to advocate, to comfort. But in this text, it's pointing out the fact that he also convicts men of their sin and also of the righteousness of Christ. So the Holy Spirit is able to get, convince men that Jesus Christ is the righteous Savior and the only one who can save them from their sins if they will put their trust in him, and he convicts them of both their sin and the righteousness of Christ. So before salvation, the Holy Spirit was working in your life, bringing you to the point where you would be able to believe. And now we want to look at your journey with the Holy Spirit at your salvation. We were just looking at common grace, but when you trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that common grace became efficacious grace. That means it became effective for you. It was specific. It was the work of the Holy Spirit that brought you to the point of being able to make that decision for Christ. 
So common grace isn't enough to save anyone. It's only enough to reveal God and convict people of sin and to bring them to Christ. But when you trusted in Jesus Christ, your journey with the Holy Spirit took a new direction. He imparted, the Holy Spirit imparted spiritual life to you and you became born again. Turn in your Bibles over to John 3 and we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 9. The term born again became sort of a little smear word. In fact, the word Christians was actually a byword. It came out uh, back in Antioch. I think it was Antioch. And the, uh, Christ, the term Christian was actually sort of a slur. If you're a follower of Christ, that wasn't something to be proud of. It was like saying you're the hick from Hicksville or something like that. Well, born again has sort of gotten that... Uh, um, bad rap. Sorry, my mind went blank there. Well, anyway, what does it mean to be born again? Looking at verse 1, John chapter 3, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born again when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother womb, mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he says something very odd here. The wind blows where it wishes and you do not hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In this passage, Jesus is teaching two different truths. One is we must experience new birth or be born again to enter the kingdom of God. The second thing he tells us here in verse 8, look at it again. He says that it's a mystery in the way the Spirit imparts spiritual life. How it happens, and when it happens, you can't fully understand it, you can't, but you can only see the effects of it. So when you got saved, everybody's conversion experience is different. Some people, uh, it was like the difference between night and day. And they know that the Holy Spirit had uh, come into their life, that Jesus had become their Savior. And it was a very dramatic experience. Uh, my wife, who doesn't like me to use her in sermon illustrations, would tell you uh, she came from a life of that, uh, from a home that was not churched. She was able to occasionally go to church on her own. She had a very abusive, verbally and physically abusive father. It caused her to rebel. She uh, run away from home, experimented with drugs, kind of went sort of quasi-hippie for a while. But then when somebody shared Christ with her and she received him as her personal savior, it was a dramatic change in her life. It was like the difference between day and night. Uh, I grew up in a Baptist church and uh, I knew the hymns. I can even remember the slogan in the nursery room. It said, I need the, it was on the paddle. It said, I need the every hour. But anyway, I grew up in the church 
And I received Christ when I was 10 years old, but it wasn't a big dramatic change in my life. And your experience is going to be different from the one sitting next to you, but your experience doesn't really dictate whether or not you are saved uh, because that's going to be different for everybody. Well, being born again is uh, a work of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. You write this reference down, but I'll just read it, Titus 3, 5. It says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Regeneration comes from, the word regeneration comes from a compound word, which means birth again or new birth. So in regeneration, the meritorious work of Christ, his finished work on the cross, is mediated to you as the Holy Spirit cleanses you and washes you from defilement and uh, imparts new spiritual life into you. It's immediate, it's not a process, It is a once-for-all act. And in regeneration, the Holy Spirit also imparts a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. So the Holy Spirit regenerates you. He imparts spiritual life to you. You receive a new nature. And then something else happens. You are, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Turn to uh, John chapter 14 and look at verse 16. Again, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. This was something different in the New Testament era. This was something that came on the day of Pentecost. The role of the Holy Spirit changed. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't come and indwell people forever. His work was selective. He came upon some people. He indwelt others, usually for specific tasks or ministries. For instance, when the tabernacle was being built in the wilderness, there were special artisans who were responsible for doing working on the furnishings in the temple. There was one who was particularly gifted because the Spirit of the God the Spirit of God had come upon him to do that work, but when that work was over, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was over. Uh, It was selective. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, he came to abide forever. So all of us, when we are saved, receive the Holy Spirit. He comes to live within us, and he will be with us. How long? Forever. Good class. You're with me. Something else happened. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we should let the Holy Spirit, who is the author of Scripture, be the one to explain what this is to us. Look over at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And by the way, there are Bibles in 
the pews or in the chairs in front of you if you uh, didn't bring one today. For this is what the Holy Spirit says. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. The definition here is that the work of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is the work of the Spirit placing us into the body of Christ. So we have all been baptized in the Spirit. Now I know that there are people who have a different take on this. They believe that we are indwelt, and yes, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us, but the spirit of the, bap- the baptism of the Spirit is sometimes called a second work of grace. Uh, sometimes, um, I forget the other term, second work of grace, uh, uh, often accompanied by speaking in tongues. And the thing is, um, I've been on a Bible college campus. I've listened to professors, future pastors. I've heard all the arguments. Uh, I've heard all the positions folks, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. When it gets hot and ugly, it's really not of the Spirit. Um, But what I do want you to know is that the church here isn't filled with a bunch of haves and have-nots. You have all been baptized, according to Scripture, by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to have to agree to disagree on some points. It shouldn't be the basis for our fellowship. I have good uh, friends who hold this view. Uh, These are really secondary issues. There's way more that we can agree on than some of these uh, other issues. And uh, if you want more help on that, you should read my book. It's entitled, Let's Quit Fighting About the Holy Spirit. Nice. Another thing happened, we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you are also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed in that gospel the moment you were saved, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit is the seal. God sealed you And the Holy Spirit is the seal. Um, This happened the moment you believed. It's a promise of your eternal security. And we're going to come back to that later towards the end of the message. But I just want you to know that there's no one greater than God that can take that seal and break it. And we're going to come back to that in a few moments. So we want to look at your journey with the Holy Spirit after your salvation. Now that you have a new spiritual life, you have a new nature, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, you began a new walk. And even though you have a new nature, you'll also have a lifelong battle with the flesh, the world, and the devil. So how are you going to live this new Christian life? How are you going to live and grow in your walk with the Lord. Well, that comes by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul explained that to the Ephesians. He said, and do not be, get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled 
with the Spirit. Now, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit are two different things. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is an act of God in which he, by the Holy Spirit, places you into the body of Christ. He indwells you. But filling is something we do. That's our part. And we are filled as we live in obedience to the Lord and we yield to the control of the Spirit. When somebody has uh, had a few drinks and they're intoxicated, and yeah, I know you can handle a few beers, but when you've had a few more, you start to get a little loose and you're starting to get a little under the control. You laugh a little louder, you drive a little crazier because you're under the control of that alcohol. Well, in the same way, we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Not that we're supposed to be weird, but, uh, <laughs> but that the Holy Spirit comes in and he controls our life. So being uh, Spirit-filled is simply being controlled by the Spirit. Now let's turn over to um, Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at a few verses here about walking in the Spirit. So Galatians chapter 5, and we're picking it up at verse 16. Paul wrote the Galatians, and he said they need to walk and live by the Spirit. It says, starting at verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what a carnal Christian looks like. That's more like what somebody who is unsaved lives like. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So living a spirit-filled life is living in obedience to the word of God and being spirit-directed. Years ago, Campus Crusade put out this little pamphlet that you could, uh, it was only about a three by five, you could put it in your pocket. It was uh, how to live the spirit-filled life. And in that uh, pamphlet that used an illustration, it, it took a circle, and then within that circle was a throne. And then they used a cross, and they used the letter S to represent self. And that, that throne represented um, our, our will, our, the seat of our emotions, command and control of our life, if you will. And when we're spirit-filled, Christ is on the throne, and he's calling the shots, and we're living in obedience to the Lord. And we're off the throne, we're, we're down here. But you know, when we resist the Holy Spirit, 
when we aren't obedient, we're just living life on our own. Now we're, the letter S is on the throne because self, we're sitting on the throne and we're deciding what we're going to do. So to the degree that we are yielding and obedient to the Holy Spirit, in commensurate to that, we will be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, I didn't learn this until about 12 years after I was saved. I'd gone all through high school, junior high, high school. Uh, I was married before I ever realized what living a spirit-filled life was. And what would happen for me is that uh, when I was younger, I'd I'd go to camp up at Forest Home. I was sure I was a sinner. In fact, I I thought I'd lose my salvation because, well, if I'm living like those things I just described, I, I couldn't possibly be a Christian. So every summer I would make the journey to Forest Home and then I'd be up there at Victory Circle. How many remember Victory Circle? Oh, only five of us? Wow, I'm dating myself. Well, it's still there. Well, Victory Circle was a big cross in the ground and the fire pit was right at the, where the cross came together. And it was a time to make decisions for Christ. And um, we would take a twig and we'd make a decision, maybe to be saved or maybe because we wanted to change something in our life. And then we'd break that twig and we'd throw one end in the fire and then we'd take that other stick home and we'd keep it on the dresser and keep it as a reminder of our decision that we'd make up at camp. But because I didn't understand the spirit-filled life, all those years I kept thinking I was unsaved. I'd, I'd go and get saved again, and then I'd get down the hill, and I'd revert to being old Mike because I didn't understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit and filling. And so as a result of a spirit-filled life, the fruit of the Spirit will become evident, and we will have the power that we need to live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit also gives spiritual gifts to us. There are several passages in the New Testament that describe the list of spiritual gifts. Um, There are three primary passages. There's no way I can go into them and explain them today. I just encourage you to dig a little bit deeper and do some homework so that you can um, have a better understanding. But I do want to talk about the nature of spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul wrote, but to each one, that's each one of you, nobody gets off the hook this morning, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What's important here is that the spiritual gifts that you are given are not for your own edification. Yes, as I'm teaching and preaching, uh, I'm blessed by being able to do this, but I'm doing this for you. I'm hoping you'll, hoping you'll learn from my mistakes and from God's word how to have the Christian life that Jesus came to give you. So each gift is given for, by the Spirit for the common good. And all of us are gifted. You don't have to pray for a gift. The Holy Spirit gives you the gifts. Secondly, it's... God's will, not human will or desire, that determines individual giftedness. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. You don't get to go to the list of spiritual gifts and go, I want B, C, and G. 
the Holy Spirit says you get D, H, and Q. He gives the gifts. They're distributed by the Holy Spirit for the common good according to his will, not our will. Now, Christian, third point here is that a Christian can have more than one gift resulting in a, a gift mix, if you will. Uh, I've worked through this uh, over the years. My spiritual gift mix is pastor-teacher, uh, cu- coupled with administration and helps. Those are my dominant spiritual gifts. Uh, you have spiritual gifts. You may have one or two that are more dominant, and there will be others. But the important thing is you have them, and you can also... Um, Use books. There are good books out there that will help you work through the, the spiritual gifts, how you would recognize what the gift is, and maybe that would help you see in your life where your gifting is. It also helps you ferret out the difference between natural abilities and spiritual gifts. I can fix a bike. I did it for years in a bicycle store. Uh, I could do it blindfolded almost. But what I'm doing up here is not a natural ability. I shared in past messages, I was like a D-plus student all my life until I went to Bible college. I didn't even know how to study or do a book report when I got to Bible college. I had to learn all of that. So this is not a natural ability. It's something that the Holy Spirit has uh, uh, gifted me with doing. So even though we have these gifts, some of them can be developed. For instance, when I started teaching, uh, we were in a small church on the Oregon coast, and uh, I was learning how to study the Bible and put lessons together, but it was very frustrating. I didn't have any training. I didn't know how to go about doing it. Um, a pastor in our church gave me this big, thick uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon. What? I didn't even know the Greek alphabet. How am I going to use this thing? And uh, so, uh, with the encouragement of other people, I went to a Bible college. I learned how to study the Bible. I learned hermeneutics, which is how we uh, study the Bible through the verbal plenary. Uh, uh, no, that's the wrong term. Through the literal, historical, grammatical uh, method of interpreting the Bible. Uh, getting some theology roots so that when I'm up here speaking to you on behalf of God, and representing the Holy Spirit, that uh, I've been able to do my homework so that I am um, hopefully uh, staying on track and teaching you and helping you understand what the Bible teaches about this pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. And by the way, it's an awesome responsibility to teach The Bible says, not let many of you become teachers, knowing that you will incur a stricter judgment. When you presume to be a teacher and you're speaking for God, you better be pretty sure of what you're talking about so that you're saying, thus saith the Lord, and not what you think. I really don't care what you think. I want to know what God has said. So anyway... We can develop those spiritual gifts, and we can learn and grow. Uh, But the important thing, too, 
is that we should be using our gifts to serve others. If you don't even know what your spiritual gift is, and you're not even trying to apply that in the body life here at Rancho Community, oh no, we're at the other one, Rancho Baptist, I've done that before. <laughs> Sorry, my apologies. Rancho Baptist Church. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, yes, using your spiritual gifts. Thank you. Um, if you are not using your spiritual gift, the rest of us are missing out. Maybe you have the gift of administration. You could be helping Sarah Thornton arranging some things. Maybe you have the gift of helps, and you could be helping out in a ministry here or there, even coming down here and cutting grass or pulling weeds. There are all kinds of things that you could be doing, but if you're not even living a spirit-filled life, you're not even spirit-controlled, and you're not using your spiritual gifts, we're dysfunctional. Rancho Baptist Church will never be what you are not because you are the sum total of Rancho Baptist Church. And so it's incumbent upon us to be living a spirit-filled life, also to be understanding our gifts and putting them into use. Then there are some other things the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us. In John 16, 12, Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. So the Holy Spirit was given to us. He teaches us. He helps us understand the Bible. He illuminates the scriptures to us so that we can understand them. When you are reading the Bible or you're listening to Pastor Jason or one of the other pastors or you're listening to a podcast and something is said and all of a sudden the light goes on in your head and you get it, that is the work of the Holy Spirit illuminating your mind so that you can understand the scripture and what's being taught there. That's a teaching role of the Holy Spirit. My wife doesn't like it when I use her in illustrations, but I'll pay my dues later. No. But years ago, we were going camping with some friends from our Bible study at Grace Community Church. We were driving out to Kennedy Meadows, and we were behind this uh, van of one of our friends. It was a Volkswagen van, and on the back of that uh, bumper was a bumper sticker. It said, Jesus is God. And the light went off. I mean, we'd heard this, you know, that, oh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But the fact that Jesus was God, is God, blew her away. She's shaking her head. Yes, I'm in good shape. It just blew her away. That was the Holy Spirit quickening and helping her understand that Jesus is God. He also guides Romans 8:14 says for all who are being led by the spirit these are sons of God. So the Holy Spirit leads us. It's appropriate to ask God for guidance, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you maybe in a decision that you're trying to make 
uh, a course of action, a change in your life. It's totally appropriate. The Holy Spirit will guide you. Sometimes he, uh, you know, and that should be Bible-based. The Holy Spirit's never going to lead you to make a decision contrary to the word of God. I want to make that point clear. The Holy Spirit who authored the scripture is not going to tell you something contrary to what the Bible says. When uh, Billy Sue comes home and says, I want to marry Albert, you know, and he's a believer and uh, he's not a believer and she is, well, the Bible says we're not to be unequally yoked. Oh, but I know I prayed and the Spirit told me that this is right. No, he didn't. Because the Holy Spirit's not going to contradict what the Word of God says. He also intercedes for us in prayer. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I don't know about you. You've probably been there just as I've been there. Your back is against the wall and you don't even know how to pray. Maybe the doctor has just come into the room and told you something that's devastating. You don't even know where to go in prayer. Maybe something's happened in a relationship or your family and you're totally devastated. You can't even put it into words. Well, a good, good thing to know is the Holy Spirit can because the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God and he knows your heart and he's able to put those together and intercede for you in prayer with deep groanings which are too deep for words. The other thing the Holy Spirit does is he assures. Uh, assurance is the conviction that you know that you're saved and that you are a child of God. Romans 8.16 says, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And as your understanding of the role of sealing by the Holy Spirit improves and develops, so will your, your assurance deepen in uh, what it means to be saved and that you are secure in Christ, in the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to our final point, which is our journey with the Holy Spirit in your future salvation. Earlier, we talked about the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. What's important to know is that the sealing work of the Holy Spirit, the purpose is that it's his responsibility to see to it that you get delivered in eternity. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The sealing work of the Holy Spirit ensures that one day you are going to be delivered in the presence of Christ. Did I get a hallelujah? It's not based on your works. It's not, um, you know, Christian performance that's going to get you there. It's merely the finished work of Christ and the indwelling and sealing work of the Holy Spirit. One day we'll make sure that you are able to stand in the presence of his glory. And that's because of the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also active and will be active. It will be because it hasn't happened yet. When you are resurrected, we're all going to die. And these bodies are going to uh, 
decompose, but it's the Holy Spirit who is uh, the Spirit of God who uh, is going to see to it that you are resurrected. Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's the Holy Spirit, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Um, We're all looking forward to a resurrection. I mean, right now we have a redeemed soul in an unredeemed body. Someday this this mortal is going to put on immortality. And, at the, and because of the Holy Spirit's indwelling and his work in our lives, our resurrection is a done deal. So how are you doing when, in your journey with the Holy Spirit? Well, if you're not born again, I don't know what you're waiting for. You need to make the decision now to receive Christ as your personal Savior because only when that happens can you be re- renewed, be regenerated, be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to live the life that Christ wants to give us. Remember Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. But to talk to a lot of Christians, oh, how's your day going? Oh, well, it's okay, I guess. Remember Dave and Ollie, they had all those resources, all that energy right under their feet but they simply hadn't ever tapped into it. You have the resident Holy Spirit living in you. Imagine the power, the power of God, the one who was active in creation when God said, let there be light. Holy Spirit was in there. When God said, let us make man in our image, Holy Spirit was there. That Holy Spirit lives in you. And we need to live a spirit-controlled life for successful Christian life. Yeah, you maybe had your devotions and had your prayer and you get on with things, but are you really living yielded to the Holy Spirit? Is he directing your life? A number of years ago in our first church, um, it was a Wednesday night. We just finished up with prayer meeting. I was talking to a couple of members afterwards and I spoke with Gladys and Bill uh, and I was asking them how they were doing, and they said, well, not very good. And I said, well, what's going on? Well, their daughter, Rachel, had been working on in a farm area. Uh, it was crop time, harvest time. She was working with uh, another laborer who had come up from Mexico. His name was Alfonso. Rachel and uh, Alfonso got a relationship together, and she got pregnant. Now they had a little baby And uh, Bill and Gladys were grieved over that, but they were also grieved because Alfonso didn't know the Lord. And um, so we all went home that night. I went back to my office. I went to my office the next day, and I wrote a letter to a friend of mine, Sixto Gamboa, who I'd gone to Bible college with. Uh, He had gone to Ecuador, and he was back at the Bible college for further studies. I wrote Sixto, and I said, Sixto, here's the situation. He, he doesn't read. He doesn't have a Spanish Bible. Can you give him the Bible in Spanish so that he can hear the Word of God and trust in Christ? Well, a little while later, mail comes. It's on a Saturday. I'm in the office. I'm getting ready for the sermon on Sunday and other things. And package comes. I open up, and oh, great. Here's this, this uh, 
cassette from uh, Sixto. And um, good, I'm, I'm going to get this out to the farm and, and hand it off. And I, as I'm trying to work on my sermon, the Holy Spirit's going, now, now you need to do this. He's, I, he wasn't letting me go. So I got on the phone, I called out to the farm, you know, I finally gave in, you know, he's bigger than me. Uh, I finally yielded and I called out to the farm, I get Gladys on the phone, and I told her what had happened, said, that's great, the only thing is, they're getting on the bus in about 30 minutes in the next town, they're getting on a Greyhound and heading back to Mexico. Well, here I am at the church, it's about 30 miles away, it's dirt grid roads, not paved, and uh, I said, well, do you have a tape recorder or something if I, if I get the tape out to you? Yeah. And so I get in our little Volkswagen. I'm jamming the gears. I'm pumping them like the Baja 500, <laughs> trying to get out to the farm. Finally drive in. I'm able to put the cassette in their hands. Gladys gives them a cassette recorded, recorder loaded with batteries. On the journey on the Greyhound bus, Sixto listens to... Or, uh, Alfonso listens to the message by, by Sixto in Spanish and trusts in Christ for his salvation. But what if I hadn't been yielding to the Spirit? What if I said, well, no, you don't understand. I've got my message to get ready. Now, God could have used other means to bring Sixto. I'm not God's only uh, tool in the toolbox. But I had the blessing of being a part of that. And you know what? When you see God do things like that in your life, that empowers you. That makes you excited about your Christian faith. That gets you out of the hope hum of the everyday Christian living that seems to be sort of like a rut. You know what a rut is? It's a grave with the ends knocked out. So we need to be living spirit-filled lives. You also need to discover and use your spiritual gifts and be using them to minister to the body of Christ. And then if nothing else, there's a lot for you to be meditating on today and this week over what the Holy Spirit has done for you. This ought to be a real time of worship and thankfulness and maybe a renewed dedication to live a spiritual life the way God intended you and I to live it. I know I have to do that. I, my family could tell you I, I don't check all the boxes all the time. And so I've had to make that renewal as I've pre- prepared this message as well. Well, let's pray, and then the ushers will come to receive the offering, and I'll turn it back over to Brad. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessed Holy Spirit for sending him to live within us, to empower us, to lead us, to guide us, to intercede for us, for sealing us until the day of redemption so that we can appear in the presence of your glory with great joy. Help us not to ignore the Holy Spirit. Help us to live by the Spirit so that we can be the people who are Christ-like, the people that you want us to be so we can thrive, so our church can thrive, and so your gospel can go forward. And we ask all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.